Hey guys, yeah, welcome to this uh, live stream um, where I'm here to talk about, give you my thoughts on last night's uh, season three premiere of Vice TV's Dark Side of the Ring. Uh, in case you guys don't know what Dark Side of the Ring is, um, it is a one hour, well, recently for premieres in the past two seasons, season two and last night, uh, two hours and sometimes the same with the season finales. Uh, but Dark Side of the Ring uh, basically takes a look at um, the behind-the-scenes situations uh, in wrestling that even though, you know, through shoot interviews and even through various other promotions they might touch upon, they don't really go fully in-depth. Like, you know, in other words, a company like, let's say, WWE or Impact Wrestling, TNA, if you will, or someone doing a shoot interview or whatever the case may be. And I do apologize if there's any lag. Uh, but anyway, so most times they won't, you know, they won't even touch. They won't even go near subjects. Like the, like I said, they'll touch upon them, but they won't fully go in depth. And that's the one thing about dark side of the ring that I've actually enjoyed is the fact that they not only go further than anybody else would, but they actually are able to get in contact uh, with those that maybe previously had been talked to, you know, about this, uh, about similar, if not the same situations that Dark Side of the Ring is going to talk about. But they are able to get more information out of them, more in-depth, you know, um, behind, behind the scenes, you know, you know, um, inform like I said, information behind the scenes. Tibbets, if you will, they're like I said, a, a normal, um, you know, a normal like documentary on, on somebody or on a certain subject, you know, from the point of view of, let's say, WWE or somebody else, you know, they would kind of touch upon, but they wouldn't fully go in depth about. And I know I repeated myself there, so I do apologize. But that's basically what Dark Side of the Ring does. They, they go uh, to these links. They go beyond you know, what WWE would cover in a similar situation. They would go beyond what Impact Wrestling would cover. They would go beyond potentially what AEW would cover. You know, they go and they, they talk about things that, uh, like I said, are somewhat taboo, uh, if you will, in the wrestling business, uh, but not necessarily because, you know, I'll, I'll give credit what credit is due. Like, you know, with WWE, Obviously, they see the success the Dark Side of the Ring is having. They're like, okay, maybe we could do something similar to that. And they do it, and they've kind of been doing it with what they call icons. But, they're talk but they end up talking about stars that they potentially have a feeling that Dark Side of the Ring won't talk about because of who they are and, you know, how, you know the, the true association with certain companies. Like with WWE, when they did... Um, I when they did an icons episode on Yokozuna, they know in a sense that Dark Side of the Ring won't touch that because you know um, the uh, um, the Anari uh, the Wani uh, family. Easy for me to say. I do apologize, but the you know Yokozuna's family, the Samoan family, Roman Reigns' family, if you will, is tightly connected to WWE, so they don't want to probably uh, end up with any kind of lawsuits or anything like that, talking to people about certain things. I mean, they talked about Superfly Jimmy Snooker because in the eyes of WWE, 
Snooker did nothing wrong, you know. So what did Dark Side of the Ring do? They said, uh-uh, you know, that ain't, that ain't going to fly. We know the case has been reopened or was reopened. We're going to get to the bottom of this. We're going to find out some information. Or we're going to, you know, not only find out information, but we're also going to, you know, showcase that information. We're going to talk about that story because no one else wants to. And now you got WWE. Oh, so, you know, so yeah, now, now you got WWE doing the icon series in response, but you also have them now working with A&E on the biography series because, you know, basically, like I said, these are, you know, stories and superstars and stuff that they believe Dark Side of the Ring, Vice TV will not touch. But Vice, so, but Vice, got to give them credit, they will surprise them sometimes. They will surprise them by, by going in that direction and saying, yeah, we're, we're going to talk, we're going to talk about this. We're going to talk about, you know, maybe the same thing you've talked about, but we're going to go more in depth about it. You know, we're going to, you know, get more information than what you're, you know, you're letting on and all that. So, you know, to me, I, I, I definitely, I definitely got to give, you know, the thumbs up to, to the people behind uh, Dark Side of the Ring on Vice that, you know, they're willing to go that route. They're willing to, you know, take that chance because nobody else wants to, you know, nobody else wants to, um, you know, take that chance and, and talk about things that even though they could be touched upon in other various uh, wrestling documentaries like WWE, Impact, AEW, whatever, these guys over at Vice are like, no, we're going to, we're going to take it a step further. We're going to, go a little further than that we're going to um we're going to open up the floodgates we're going to open up as tony khan calls it the forbidden doors and we're going to find out more about you know certain events and certain wrestlers alive or past that you know nobody else is letting letting you in on you know we're going to find out more information and you know, once again, Dark Side of the Ring, got to give them credit. They, with the season premiere last night on Brian Pillman, they hit it out of the park. They hit it out of the park, which is, I thought, which to me, I thought was just great. It was just tremendous that, you know, they were able to do that. Because, you know, all, you know, because here's the thing, WWE years ago, in fact, I have it, um, released a uh, two-disc DVD on Brian Pillman, the loose cannon, the Brian Pillman story. Uh, excuse me. And even though they did go in depth about, you know, certain things with Brian and all that, they didn't fully go in depth like Dark Side of the Ring did last night. They didn't. They went further than that. They went beyond what WWE did. Yeah, WWE touched upon some things that Vice touched upon um, as well. But like I said, Vice you know, took it to another level. They, they found out things, they talked about things, they touched upon things that WWE would not touch upon. Like, first of all, like, for, number one thing, number one thing is that, you know, because of his, uh, his, you know, because, you know, because of the fact that, you know, Brian always had this raspberry voice, you know, most of his uh, career, it was due to the fact that it was because of 40 surgeries he had on his throat. And one surgery, one emergency surgery he had to have took place on the dining room table 
of the doctor that you know he goes to to get this looked at. So they had to do a triography or something like that. I can't think of the name. Um, I do apologize about that. But they had to basically rush him to the doctor's house because the doctor didn't live that far away at the doctor's be at the doctor's behest, you know, to the ambulance, you know, to bring Brian and his family over to his house so he could do the emergency the emergency surgery right then and there um, on on the uh, on the dining room table, which is, you know, just uh, just crazy when you think about it. It's just really really crazy when, when you think about it. Uh, but yeah, you know, they get into that and here's the thing. Here's the thing. Um, WWE didn't get into that. They didn't. I remember watching uh, the DVD when I first got it and they never touched upon that. Like I said, they touched upon some things here and there. They touched upon his accident and all that, but they didn't go any further. They didn't go in depth to what you know what was what was really going on behind the scenes uh, with Pillman. They didn't. They did not go in depth. They basically were like, you know, you know, here's here's the things we're going to highlight about. Here's the things we're going to talk about, and that's it. They didn't go any further. They didn't go any further than. Here's what we're going to talk about, and that's it. They didn't go any further, and you know. And at first, I'm, you know, I'm just satisfied that we got something on Pillman, you know, or at least they're talking about him. But I think just like a lot of people that got that DVD or saw that DVD, you know, kind of a lot of us kind of felt like there was something missing, like there was something more, but we weren't sure of exactly what it was. And Dark Side of the Ring. They capitalized on a lot of the issues, a lot of the things that WWE didn't touch upon. And they said, okay, you know, you don't want to talk about these things? You know, we're, we're going to talk about them. Because I think the guys behind Dark Side of the Ring kind of felt the same way we did. Like something was amiss. Like something just didn't make sense. It's like to them, when they watched the Brian Pillman documentary, like or, you know, w, the, uh, that WWE, excuse me, there. The WWE put out, you know, to them, you know, even though it was a good documentary, like a, like a lot of us later on afterwards, they felt like something was missing. And over the years, more information started to kind of leak out or come out that there was more to the story than just what WWE was showing you. So uh, the people behind Dark Side of the Ring said, okay. There's more to this. We're gonna we're gonna show we're gonna take uh, we're gonna take that step. We're gonna be the ones that uh, basically, you know, talk about not just what WWE talked about, but we're gonna go beyond that. And like I said, that's what they did here because, like I said, everybody's talked about how many number of surgeries Brian had on his throat, and here we basically got an accurate number from his sister, his own sister, uh, Linda Pillman, I think. And she's, I think it was Linda. I think that's her name. And she said it was 40 of them. And she even talked about how when the mom came home, you know, she found Brian breathing, um, not, not breathing correctly, if you will. It's like something was very wrong. She called the doctor, put the phone, you know, kind of stretched the phone out because it was still one of those 
because it was still at the time when the phones were like this on the wall with the with the line. So she took the phone, phone, you know, from her ear, pointed it in the direction where her son uh, was breathing, and the doctor said, "You get him over here, here right now. You get him over right here right now. I'll call the ambulance." And oh, you get him over here right now. I'll call the ambulance, basically, to get him over here. And that's what happened because the doctor lived, you know, right down, you know, that not that far from him. So, like I said, the doctor's like, you know, bring him over here and we'll take care of it on, you know, in my house. We'll give him the emergency surgery he needs on his throat right here on my dining room table. And that's what happened. So, yeah, they they went into that, you know, which, you know, WWE did not do. And then what was really surprising, um, and, you know, it's obviously no secret that when you're on the road, man or woman, as a professional wrestler, sports entertainer, that you're tempted to go behind your loved one's back. You are very much tempted to do that, which is why I guess nowadays, if you're both in the sport, you know, companies like WWE and AEW and Impact are making sure that you're both within the company working together and, you know, so something like this can be avoided. But uh, anyway, anyway, though, what was interesting, and again, WWE didn't touch upon this. They didn't. They did not touch upon this. And it's the fact that Brian Pillman, we know about Brian Pillman Jr. We know about him. You see him on... AEW is part of the Varsity Blondes. I think he's doing great. He's going to be a future champion there no time, in no time flat. But what was interesting is you find out, you know, that, yeah, Brian had children. You, you know, Brian Pillman had kids. He had two daughters, one son. But... What you didn't, what WWE didn't touch upon, and Dark Side of the Ring got to give them credit again that they touched upon, they were able to find out, is that Brian had kids from three separate women. Three separate women. It was all due to his his scheduling and, and being on the road and stuff like that. He had children from three different women. One um, named Danny. That's D I. That's D I. Um, not not Danny, but uh, yeah, Danny. But it it's spelled D A N I D. Danielle. It's you know it's Danielle Pillman, but Danny for short. So it's D A N I. Um, she's the oldest. Then you had Brittany Pillman, and then you had Brian Pillman Jr. Kind of, you know, very identical, if you will, with me. Except I had two. Except me and my sisters. We were all born, born and raised by the same parents. No, no craziness, you know, outside. No craziness there. Thank God. Thank the Lord. But here it's like he had two, he had two daughters and one son, all birthed by three different women. And we didn't see who uh, the mother of Danny was, Danielle. We didn't see that. Uh, we did see pictures and video, I think, of Rochelle. That was the first wife of Pillman's, who was the mother of Brittany Pillman. 
And right off the bat, we find out that she um, had issues. She had some men- she had some issues. Um, I'm guessing from what I could tell, she had mental issues and I think some substance issues at times. She she basically dealt with depression in a big way. And, you know, Pillman being on the road as long as he was, you know, didn't really help with that, you know, whatsoever. And then because he was on the road, he met his other wife. He met his other wife. Um, I think her name's Malina or Michelle, I think. Let me let me uh, check. Uh, let me check you. Hold on. Let me check here. Um, let me, let me check. Should have personal life. Here we go. Melina. No, Melina. So, yeah, Melina was the second wife and the one that, you know, when you, uh, if you go, and they showed this, I'll give, uh, the one thing Dark Side of the Ring does, and I guess they do get permission or they find a way to, well, even if they don't get permission, they find a creative way to show the footage. And, you know, they show the footage of Pillman at home, you know, with his, his nine millimeter. It's that Pillman's got a gun deal. You know, and Austin's trying to break into the house. That's when we first see Melina Pillman. And I can tell you this, honestly, what she's gone through mentally and physically, you know, after Brian's passing, and maybe even before that, let's just say it's a total night and day. It's a total night and day, honestly, uh, with her because she doesn't even look like she did, you know, back in 1997. I mean, I know, I know, 20 years have passed. And things, you know, people change. 20 years have passed, people change. But, you know, she definitely doesn't, I mean, but honestly, she does not look the same whatsoever. And, you know, they do go into the into detail that after Brian's passing, she went through a stage. She went through a stage of alcohol abuse, you know, depression. You know, they even mentioned that Brian Jr. found her on the floor at 12 years old, you know, not not dead because she wouldn't have been here for the interview, but but basically passed out from drinking, I think vodka or something like that. Too much, too much alcohol basically. And yeah, just obviously with Melina, it took a toll on her uh, both physically and mentally. And you can kind of tell she, she's dealing like with issues, like physically, like she has jitters at times or something. And like her speech, you know, it's all right, but it's kind of like, kind of um i would say kind of not not what it used to be it's kind of like you know more, more along the lines of you know she can't i mean she could speak you know she could speak all right and everything but you can kind of tell that you know the abuse and everything is kind of you know physically and mentally kind of taken its toll on her and to say that basically the um daughters are not forgiving or not forgiving um, of Melina would be an understatement. 
they are not forgiving of her. Here's the thing. Uh, the reason, yeah, I do apologize if there's any um, issues here. I do apologize. Uh, but like I said, the the reason they uh, they are basically unapologetic to her right now is the fact that they blame her for a lot of crap going down in their lives. They do. They blame her for a lot of crap going down in their lives. And, you know, honestly, after what you see here, you know, you can't you can't really blame them. You really can't because, you know, you know, and, and I'll give Melina credit. You know, at least she's matured enough that after everything she's gone through, she's, you know, physically and mentally that that's kind of woken her up a little bit that, you know, now she's, you know, that she's realizing she shouldn't have done or said the things that she did. Because Brittany, from what I can tell, partially blames uh, Melina for her mom's death. She does. She blames her for her mom's death. And Danny along with Brittany, you know, blame her for the fact that after the father passed, they never saw a penny out of anything that was owed to them because, you know, they're his kids, but, you know, they, they never saw anything, you know, they, they never saw anything, um, you know, financially coming, coming their way, like any, um, like any, um, you know, royalties or alimony, whatever you want to call it. They never saw nothing. And they blamed her for that. The only person that was has been willing to reconcile with her and, you know, bring him bring her back into the lives is Brian Jr. You know, he you know, he basically has come to the point that he's realized that he can go on hating her for what she's become and what she's done. Or he could basically look pat he could basically grow up and forgive her for the mistakes that she made aid and try to reconcile with her and reconnect with her um to try to you know you know make things better and hopefully from what i can tell be that first step in maybe Brittany and Danny doing the same thing but from what i can tell you know just by watching this that's not going to be easy that's not going to be easy for, you know, Brittany. That's not going to be easy, you know, not Brittany, but it's not going to be easy for Brian Jr. to try outside of wrestling because he is wrestling as well. But obviously when he has time off and, you know, with wrestling the way it is right now, you know, that's that's a luxury he has that, you know, he's, you know, he, he's probably going to be probably, if not currently, is working on trying to get this family to reconcile um, you know, with, you know, his sisters, that is his stepsisters to reconcile with Melanie, oh, Melina, or Melanie, if you will. Yeah, Melanie, that's what it is. Because, you know, they can't keep, you know, hating her for the rest of her, for the rest of their lives. They can't be doing that. I mean, Brittany herself, I think, during the interview, you know, called Melina the devil. You know, that, you know, she... She called her the devil. Like she's evil. She says she's evil. She's the devil, and that right now, you know, you know, she, you know, she's reaping what she's sown, and that she even says that she's going to be one. She said, said something along the lines of she's going to be one hundred years old, and she's going to be alone. Now she, if she lives to be one hundred years old, she's going to be living alone. Nobody's going to want to be around her. 
So obviously, you could tell that maybe out of the two daughters, the one that has the most animosity, the most bitterness and hatred and disdain for Melanie is Brittany. And the reason for this is due to the fact that uh, what they talk about in the special, and again, this is something that WWE never touched upon, uh, but during the special, or during, not the special, but during the premiere, one of the things they touched upon that WWE, as far as I know, never did in their interpretation that they released years ago is Rochelle was just driving up up to where Pillman and Molina lived and where the, where the kids were. And I think this was at a time where Pillman was able to get like visitation rights. In other words, you know, he was able to have, you know, like, well, I, it was something along the lines of visitation or partial custody or something like that. Basically, he was able to spend time uh, with his daughters and everything. But, you know, it got to a point that I guess from him and Melanie's uh, point of view that they had to take the kids in. They had to get full custody because they didn't trust what was going on with Rochelle. Like, you know, mentally, you know, she like physically, maybe she could take care of them. But mentally, it's like, you know, she wasn't, you know, you know, um, you know, ready for that or a good, you know, mentally, she wasn't, you know, up to do that, at, if you will. So what happened is that, you know, and this is why Brittany obviously has a lot of disdain, if you will, uh, for for Rochelle, you know, and everything, not not Rochelle, but for Melanie, this is why Brittany has a lot of disdain for her, because as she recalls, she's, you know, riding her little trike bike, those uh, little plastic trike bikes uh, in the yard, and her mom drives up. Now, obviously, according to an order, her mom wasn't supposed to, you know, be around, wasn't like supposed to be you know, visiting her or something like that because of, you know, her mentalness and her drug abuse or something like that. And Brittany was just, you know, she sees this car drive up and her mom gets out of it and she's just happy to see her mom. And, you know, she's hugging her. She's happy to see her. And this obviously gets the attention of Brian and Melanie. Now, we're not sure exactly, you know, how it got their attention. I think what they kind of alluded to is Brian or Melanie if not both, saw Rochelle out there holding uh, Brittany. And the first uh, thought process, and again, it could have been Melanie, I think, if not both, uh, the first thought process was Rochelle was going to kidnap uh, Mel- uh, was going to kidnap Brittany and-, and take her away. And so they came rushing out. They grab her. They get into an argument. And they basically start filing official, you know, for full-time custody. So after this, well, she has, yeah, basically they, you know, they get into an argument. Brian takes Brittany out of Rochelle's arms. Arms, they blame her, accuse her of trying to probably kidnap her. And then they decide to file for full-time custody. In other words, you know, you know, uh, basically Brittany uh, and Dan, Brittany and you know lives full time with the parent, you know, with Melanie and and Brian Jr. and and her and her uh, step siblings because Melanie had about three kids uh, prior to this. So basically, um, Brian. So basically, 
um, there was five kids in the house. And then Danny, when she comes over to be with her father, uh, is including in that. So you're looking like at six kids uh, overall. But anyway, <coughs> anyway, uh, long story short, uh, basically, they file. They decided to start filing for full custody and restrainment on Rochelle. Uh, Rochelle wants to get on the phone. Gets on the phone to try to talk to Pillman. He's uh, to Brian. Brian, if you will, he's not there. But Melanie, you know, picks up the phone. She's the one that answers, and she basically says something that obviously here when they talk to her in the in the premiere, she regrets saying because she realizes, you know, now. If not, has been realizing uh, since 97 that maybe or 96 or whenever um, what I'm about to talk about happened, she realizes that maybe she shouldn't have did what she did, you know, because basically she gets on the phone. She, you know, with with Rochelle and basically tells Rochelle, you know, you're you know, you know, she tells her that you're a terrible mom and that your own mother thinks I'd be a better mom than you. And then she hangs up on her according to the uh, dramatization that we saw uh, to visually show us, you know, that happening. This of course uh, puts, this of course distraughts Rochelle even further into the depression and, you know, the problem, the depressional problems, mental problems that she has that it go that, that basically Linda Pillman talks about how uh, Rochelle called up her mom and said, you know, basically that she was going to end it. She was going to end her life. And the visual dramatization showed uh, the person portraying Rochelle having a gun in her hand and that immediately after she hung up the phone, that's when she you know, took her life or basically shot herself. And Linda was contacted about it. And unfortunately, when Linda got to the hospital, it was too late because they told her that Rochelle had passed, you know, on the helicopter to the, on the helicopter ride um, or the airlift ride, if you will, to, to the hospital. And this is why, you know, Brittany has so much disdain and bitterness, if not hatred, for Melanie. Because despite the fact that, you know, Melanie brings up the fact that both her and Brian were distraught, mostly Brian was distraught and everything, and they both kind of acknowledged that maybe they may have pushed, if not indeed pushed, Rochelle to do this. Um, you know, despite You know, despite her kind of, you know, admitting it here, publicly in front of the world, you know, Brittany and, you know, Brittany, basically, I should say, you know, still obviously, and you could just tell by the tone in her voice, she does not, she does not care at all about what happens to Melanie in the future. I mean, obviously she could rectify with her or reconcile with her, I should say. Um, in the you know in the future, but right now you could just tell by this interview, and maybe a lot has changed since the interview. Uh, but I don't know yet. But obviously, uh, she uh, basically holds it like I said, holds a lot of resentment, hatred, and bitterness. 
And, you know, it's not just for what happened to her mom, but it's also later on what happened to her father. You know, so she holds a, a lot of bitterness and everything. And, you know, only all she can really do is, you know, give it to God. When All I could say for Brittany Pillman is this. You know, whether you believe anything that Melanie Pillman said in the interview uh, during the premiere last night, all Brittany has to do, honestly, is give it to God. She has to get on her knees, ask God to give her the strength to forgive this woman for what she's done and try to reconcile with her like her stepbrother um, has done because that is his biological mother. But, you know, if I'm Brittany, I'm I'm trying to get, basically get on my I, I want to get on my knees and ask for and ask the Lord above to give me the strength to try to forgive this woman and try to, you know, you know, try to move on from what happened, try to reconcile and try to make a better future for the family as a whole. Um, but yeah, you know, they went into that. Uh, like I said, that WWE didn't do. They even talk. They even go into graphic detail. They don't show it. Where they go into graphic detail uh, about, you know, Pillman's accident, you know, the Humvee and everything. You know, they go into the fact that he had to have, you know, metal plates, titanium plates, you know, put into his face. That they had to peel down the skin of his face. They literally had to pull his face down to, you know, get in there to put the plates in and, you know, do the, you know, do the surgery. You know, they had to put the bolts in his legs. They even said that uh, his leg, his leg, like this, this leg here, was just falling off. It was getting ready to pop off, and the nurse had to go in there and put it back onto the bed. And they had to fuse that to where it was mainly like in a walking position and all and everything. And and again, you know, WWE, you know, they they didn't never they never, as far as I know, they never went into this kind of detail. Uh, whatsoever they never went into this they ne- they never um you know went into this kind of graphic detail um if you will they you know they never did you know it was like it was just like one of those situations you know, it was like one of those you know, situations to where you think that when they released you know the dvd that they could have put like a a parental guidance warning on it or an ma warning but they they didn't do that, you know. And if I believe honestly, if WWE would have did that, they could have gone, you know, uh, you know, and talk, gone and talk about most of what Dark Side of the Ring talked about. Because honestly, if they would have put an MA rating on that, then Dark Side of the Ring wouldn't have had to worry about talking about it. Be right back.
Yeah, it was just junk mail. Sorry about that. I just got a phone call from my mom. They let her out early, or her and the teachers out early, because they're setting up for CV, uh, CPR over at their site. So, uh, so they just let them out early. She she also believes it has to do with something else, but I'm not going to get into that. Uh, but anyway, like I said, uh, what was I? Uh, oh yeah, you know they they go into graphic detail, like you know how the fact that they had to peel down the skin to get the titanium bolts in there or the plates and. You know, that the leg was hanging off the, the bed to the nurse had to put it up and they had to fuse it into a walking position. I mean, again, they went into very graphic detail that, like I was trying to say before the phone rang there, that had WWE put an MA rating on this uh, DVD that they did on Pillman, then I think they would have done all this. And in my personal opinion, Dark Side of the Ring wouldn't have had to worry about really going too much into detail about Brian Pillman. As a matter of fact, they wouldn't have had to go through it whatsoever because... WWE would have beaten them to the punch had they done that, but they didn't. They decided to kind of give us the uh, diet version, the light version of what, you know, what was happening and all that. Dark Side of the Ring, though, they didn't pull no punches. They said, yeah, we're going to go all out with this. We're going to we're going to you know show you guys exactly or talk to you guys exactly about the other things that nobody wants you to know about. I mean, they interviewed, like I said, they didn't just interview uh, Melina Pillman, his last wife before he passed, but his kids, they interviewed his uh, former um, training coach, one of his former training coaches in the Bengals. You know, they, they've uh, interviewed uh, Dave Meltzer, who Brian was a, who was a close confidant and contact uh, uh, Brian's and, and all that. So they, they, they talked to Jim Ross, they talked to Eric Bischoff, you know, and I'll give J- and one thing I'll give Jr. and Eric a lot of credit for when they get talked to, and you could tell the difference between when they would talk about Pillman on the WWE set and compared to Dark Side of the Ring is they're able to go into more detail. Like it's like it's almost like WWE doesn't want them to say certain things, you know, uh, about Pillman and what happened behind the scenes and all that. They, you know, they tell them. They probably give them bullet points of, okay, you know, answer, you know, when we ask you these questions, answer it like this, just don't, and don't go into full detail. And you could tell that. You could tell that big difference between the two. And of course, the big uh, catch that they got was Stone Cold. They got Stone Cold. And, you know, um, he, he basically talked about some things that he had talked about uh, on the DVD, but he also talked about other things that, 
you know, they didn't, you know, uh, talk about either. Like, you know, he would try to for a bit talk to Melanie, you know, on and off after the passing to see how she was doing. Um, you know, they they talked about how, you know, he was in WCW around 92, 93. And then that's how the Hollywood Blondes came about. I th- I think, honestly, they may have had things mixed up. Maybe Austin forgot. But I, th- I thought it was around the mid-90s to... Uh, 93. So I would say about the mid 90s in, in, in about the mid to late 92, I should say mid to late 92 into 93. But uh, yeah, they, they talked about that. And Steve, you know, talked about when they want to drive, he'd be, you know, they'd be driving together because they were a team. You know, Pillman would be looking at the dictionary to improve his vocabulary for promos. And as well as he also came up with the idea of you know, gold chains and the Hollywood Blondes name, and, you know, on all that. And that basically that was all Pillman's idea. Uh, he even talked about how this all came about. And I think he did talk about it in the, in the DVD as well. But he talked about how Pillman just came up to him one day and said, when they were arriving at, when they were both at center stage and said, hey, man, we got to come up with a finish, you know, and Steve's like, well, what are you talking about? He says, well, a tag team. We're, and Pillman's like, well, we're a tag team now. And he's like, huh? He's like, Because he, Steve was so used to being a singles guy. And around this time, they were positioning him for a run at the U.S. title. But I think because they didn't have much for him to do until that, until that point, they decided to uh, basically reel him back and put him into a tag team with uh with brian and as they say the rest is history um so they went into that and of course they went into you know how brian basically did something that as far as we know nobody else has done yet or has dared to repeat and that's basically make (coughs) make everybody believe what you're doing is legit not just the fans not just the insiders but the men and the, but the boys and the girls, the men and the women in the back that you work with, make them believe what you're doing is legit. And of course, that's the loose cannon deal. Because when Brian came in, as a lot of us know, he was a pretty boy. He was a pretty boy out of Stampede, you know, wrestling or got to start in Stampede wrestling after a stint, after a stint, I should say, in the NFL and the CFL. So he got to start in Stampede wrestling after training. At the Stu Hart dungeon, they actually had footage of Stu Hart putting Brian into a submission that I think his uh, um, uh, tra- his coach, his uh, defensive coach or his training coach, if you will, out of Cincinnati at that time, said that, hey, if you could survive four or five hours in that, then you're good to go. Or somebody, I think it was him or it was Jim Ross, somebody said it, or Dave Meltzer maybe, said if you could survive four or five hours in that, you're good to go. So they talked about, you know, Stampede and obviously being in Stampede and seeing what Brian could do uh, got the attention of WCW, got the attention, I think, of, I believe it was Jim Ross or somebody got got the attention. Well, actually, it was Dave Meltzer because he was in contact with Dave Meltzer at that time. So it got the contact. Uh, so through the contacting of Dave Meltzer, it got the attention of Jim Ross and WCW, and they brought him in and they showed like one of his first big matches was against Rick and how Rick saw a lot of potential in him, wanted to work with him. And, you know, this is, they just went into all detail about his run WCW, how, like I said, he went from being flying Brian, which I do remember because um, just a little bit of quick trivia here. 
a quick note to a little quick note, I should say. Um, when I was watching WCW and it was still part of the NWA, or at least in its uh, later years, and they brought in the and they introduced, I should say, the light heavyweight championship. I always associated that championship with Brian Pillman. Brian holding that belt was the first exposure I knew about the light heavyweight title. And I don't know what it was, but anytime I watched WCW when I could, you know, back when that championship was around, I always looked forward to seeing Brian defend that title. You know, that was just me. And maybe it's because he shared the same name as I did. I don't know, but I just liked it. I really did. I just gravitated to that championship when he had it, when he had it. And, you know, I would get upset at times when he would lose it to Jushin Thunder Liger or somebody else, but hopefully he would get it back, and he did. But it was because of Pillman that I gra- that I knew about the Light Heavyweight Championship, and I gravitated to, you know, any time that was on television being defended or just being shown or being brought to the ring by Pillman. Um, anyway. Anyway, they go into basically how he went from all this, the Hollywood blonde and all that, and evolving into the loose cannon. Now, of course, they did touch upon a lot of things that were going on, like I said, you know, outside of the ring. Like I said, with the uh, the suicide of with Rochelle, Rochelle uh, doing her, committing the suicide that she did and how he felt responsible and everything. And that going back to work, a lot more was weighing on his mind. And, you know, he had to deal with that as well as having to still, you know, provide for his family. So, again, it was, you know, through all this going back and forth of how, you know, he involved into the loose cannon and how what was happening outside was affecting him as well. Then, of course, they get to the part where he basically gets his release from, um, you know, from WCW courtesy of Eric Bischoff and the uh, um, training coach for the Bengals that he was good friends with. Uh, basically, it was like, you know, he was basically the one that suggested Brian Pillman do this. He was the one that suggested he blur the line. He, you know, he's take, he basically says that he's the one that suggested it, that Pillman blur the line between the reality and fiction. And and he and all and this one thing about this coach that really I think might annoy some people when they see this or if they have seen it is when he would just you know when he would be asked something about you know you know the contractual situation that Pillman was putting himself in you know he would be like oh well, what do you think it was money money it was all it's always been about that it's always been about he would get real loud like he wanted to get the point across that what Pillman was doing as the loose cannon basically working everybody, you know, from the fans to the, to those in the business, that was just about getting money, making money. And that the idea of doing this was to help him provide, you know, or, you know, give a better life, if you will, uh, to his, to his kids, to his family. If he could basically get a better contract out of the situation, you know, depending on who he was going to go with. Now, of course, um, the one thing they did allude to that I think the WWE documentary kind of alluded to, but didn't really that much, was he wanted to stay in WCW. He felt he was going to be guaranteed good money there, and that basically he was WCW bound. 
Oh, he's WWE. He was WCW bred, so he'd rather be there. Like that was his home base, and that's what he'd always be associated with until the Humvee accident. And then that's basically where he ended up signing uh, with WW, uh, WWE, WWF, uh, because of that. Because you know he was guaranteed not only not only did he sign the first guaranteed contract that is or the first wrestler to do so, but it also you know had it in the contract that uh, he could renegotiate or could you know he could, he's going to get something more out of it after the expiration is up. And Bischoff, you know, he even brought this up in the interview and he brought it up in the somewhat in the documentary WWE did. He basically had the impression that, okay, Pillman's going to do this, you know, and eventually he's, he's going to come back. Now, I don't know if that was still in the cards and before what happened, but yeah, Pillman was, uh, Pillman had signed with WWE and it, and it looked like, perhaps from what some people uh, from the, not some, but from those that they were talking to last night in the premiere, it almost sounded like Pillman was going to be a lifer for WWF. Like he was not going to go back. Like even though WCW was his, where he made a name for himself and everything that because of what happened to him, his value would have not been as good. And, you know, maybe he wouldn't be in the position he would have been, he would hope to be in. You know, like he was promised he'd be in. And so, obviously, from what people, from what they were describing last night, he was probably bound to be, you know, you know, WWE for life after signing that guaranteed contract. Because it has all the, you know, caveats that, you know, he was hoping for, if not more. And, you know, he signed this at a time where he was still working on it, where he was still dealing with his injury. He had multiple surgeries coming up. So they, well, one big surgery was his ankle coming up. So they had to find a way to get him off television. Or at least work, you know, work it into the storyline to where he could remain on television, but he physically wasn't going to be doing anything. And then that's, of course, when they show the infamous uh, pilmalization, pilmalization as they call it, or pilmanizing, as they keyed the word, well, they keyed the word from there of his ankle by Stone Cold. You know, on, on a, a, a 1996 edition of Superstars, they basically showed what Stone Cold had done. And this was done to write him off so he can get his surgery. And then, of course, that led to the infamous, as I mentioned earlier, Pillman's got a gun a situation that, you know, WWE had to apologize for on their weekend morning show Livewire. And they show footage of that. They showed uh, Vince McMahon apologizing for what happened on that Raw with Pillman, you know, having the gun, the home invasion and all that. You know, he had to apologize because USA, USA was pissed. USA was pissed at WWE for, for doing that. They were pissed off at them for doing that. You know, and, you know, Vince, and this, again, this is at a time when WWE was still PG. This was the, where they were borderlining that PG TV 14, you know, border. Like they were borderlining. They were on the edge. Like they still referred to themselves as a family product, but they were slowly, slowly, like they were slowly tipping over inside and going to the side of more edgy adult content. But this, again, was still at a time where 
something like what Pillman and Austin did was very taboo and was not meant to be seen on television, especially with a family show. So, uh, so yeah, basically, you know, Vince, you know, had to, he had to apologize. He had to apologize for the incident because it was like, you know, you know, even though it was, you know, meant to pop a rating, it was like something that, you know, nobody had seen before. No one had attempted. Not even WCW had attempted that. Not even ECW had attempted that. I mean, ECW had its controversial uh, moments, there's no doubt. But even they didn't pull something like that. And yeah, and speaking of ECW, they did bring up the fact that Pillman showed up at CyberSlam, you know, um, in 96 at ECW. And Meltzer brought up the fact that the reason this happened is because WCW and ECW were at odds with each other in a big, big way. There was, you know, disdain, if you will, that it would be great that it would, that basically what I'm trying to say, the last thing they would expect is for a WCW guy to show up in their arena and then basically shoot, if you will, on Eric Bischoff, on WCW, and he'll basically have free range unlike he's been able to have before. You know, and they go into everything that he did during his little stint with ECW and that uh, basically this led to him now being in a situation where, okay, WCW wants to bring him back because now his name value is skyrocketing. But, you know, WWE now has, but now he also has the attention of WWE, if not more so because of the fact that he showed up at a convention uh, in Las Vegas in 96, got the attention of Jim of Jim Ross and Vince McMahon, mostly Vince. That's where that um, very notable picture of Vince and Pillman come from. And according to Jim Ross, Vince is like, like, we can't hire this guy. This guy's crazy. He's nuts. And JR has to basically reel Vince in and be like, well, yeah, that's that's his thing. That's his thing. Basically, he's he tells Vince that that's what Pillman's plan. That's Pillman's de- old de- whole old deal is right now. He's his gimmick is he's blurring the lines. He basically told Vince that Pillman had alluded to him that he was blurring the lines. He wanted people to think what he was doing was legit. His craziness, his loose cannonness, was legit in and out of the ring. I mean, they even showed. Um, uh, the uh, the Clash of the Champions episode, Will Pillman, in the beginning stages of the loose cannon deal, went after Bobby Heenan, and Bobby Heenan dropped the freaking F-bomb. And that now Pillman's got people talking because he got one of the most notable uh, personalities in wrestling, manager and commentator-wise, um, to basically, you know, swear on TV you know, basically drop a freaking F-bomb because he wasn't sure what was going on because, you know, he didn't know, like anybody else, that what was happening was, you know, Pillman was working people. He was working the, everybody from the fans, like I said, from the fans to the uh, to his fellow wrestlers. So, you know, and, and all that. So nobody knew exactly what was going on. Nobody knew what was going on. Now, when they got to the later parts as well. Uh, they talked about, you know, how Pillman wanted to get back in the ring. 
and he would take pills after pill. He would take pills to relax the pain. If that one pill didn't work, he would take another. He would basically take a variety of pills, pain pills, to make to make the pain go away, so he could get back in the ring and, and compete again. And they showed him having this match with Gold Dust at SummerSlam, as well as at um, In Your House and all that. You know, so they showed that he he was he was still competing. He even showed him having his match with Austin on Raw, but he was competing in a way that, you know, if you saw him walking through the airport and all that, you could tell something was not right because he was barely able to stand according to those that, you know, according to those that they talked to. He was barely able to stand. And I'm sorry, my finger hit the mic there. And according to what JR said, he got... Um, contacted by a lot of other stars telling telling him, hey, Pillman's, he can't stand, he can't even make it through the airport. You know, you need to do something about this. And even Austin chimed in on this as well. So JR basically felt that he had to do the one thing that he knew would probably, you know, put him on the outs with Pillman. And that is he had to get a drug test on him. And fortunately, all they found on Brian was his painkillers. That's it. Nothing else. But Brian felt betrayed. And obviously, you could tell in this in the premiere that Jr. felt very sorry about that. Like that's the last thing he wanted to do. So, yeah, Pillman felt like he was betrayed by by Jr. because Jr. was basically forced to make this drug thing happen. And um, later on, uh, oh, not later on, but what am I trying to say? Yeah, later on, of course. Uh, like I said, they talked about how he was still competing and everything, but then they get to the part that we all know about. They didn't get to the part that we all know about. And obviously, uh, Jim Cornette, who they talked to as well, who still gets emotional about it because he doesn't want to relive this. He doesn't want to talk about it, but you know, he knows that it's got to get out there. He knows that, well, it's going to get asked. I might, might as well, well, it's going to get asked. I want to be talked about because this is part of it. You know, might as well get it out there. And, you know, that's what they did because, like I said, after they talked about how Brian felt betrayed by JR, they also talked about how one night Brian was so out of it, so out of it that he, in the middle of the night, went to his former training coach's house. And his former training coach was like, no, you got to go. You got to leave now and don't ever come back here in the state. Don't ever come back in the state in the state you are right now. He basically, the, the training coach was like, I have my kids asleep upstairs. You got to go now. Because obviously Pillman was belligerent. He was not all there. And obviously you could tell, and Austin even brought this up, you, you could kind of tell something was up. Like you knew the signs were there that, you know, something bad is going to happen. And unfortunately that's what occurred. I mean, even Melanie brought up, and this was shown in the sneak peek and of course shown in the premiere, Melanie brought up the fact that Pillman would start talking about, you know, or talking about how he may not be here anymore, that she needs to find uh, somebody else to, you know, so the kids have a father, stuff like that. And she would be like, what are you talking about? Why, why are you, you know, saying these things? And then, of course, they get to Bad Blood in Your House 1997, which is also known as the site of the first Hell in a Cell match between Michaels and Taker, but... That obviously was overshadowed by what happened 
you know, prior to that, because, and again, this is where Jim Cornette basically gets emotional because a little emotional because he doesn't want to talk about this, but he obviously knows that they're going to want to, they're going to want to, this has got to be brought up. This is going to be talked about anyway. So um, obviously what happened is that according to Jim, a lot of the men and women are meant to be at the location of the event, live, pay-per-view, whatever, you know, raw at that time, superstars. Uh, they're meant to be at the show. They're meant to be at the event basically uh, around 1 o'clock, you know, local time, 1 o'clock local time, so that they can, you know, get themselves ready, go, you know, get, you know, get themselves ready, get themselves prepared, get something to eat uh, while they're there, you know, as well as, you know, go over what they're going to do. Well, unfortunately, Pillman did not show. Now, they did mention that there are times that men, that superstars, men and women, would show up, you know, a little after one because they overslept. They either missed the flight, they either missed, you know, the the transportation, whatever that might be. And that because of that, you know, because they missed the flight, because they missed the transportation and all that, you know, sometimes they would call in and say, hey, we're not going to be there. You're going to have to do something. We're not going to be there on time. You have to do something. Or if they do get there, it's a little before uh, showtime or just maybe an hour or two before showtime or whatever the case may be. But in this case, when it came to Pillman, he wasn't there. And from what they, from what it sounds like, he's always reliant on, on being there on time or at least being there around the time he's supposed to be. But Unfortunately, that wasn't the case. That was not the case because, you know, one o'clock passed, two o'clock passed, three o'clock, four, five. So they get to the five o'clock time range where the pay-per-view is about to get ready to go on the air or something like that. And there's no Brian Pillman. Pillman's not shown up yet. So they call the hotel uh, where he was staying at the night before because I think of a live event. Cornette calls the hotel and is like, okay, where is Brian Pillman at? Where is he at? And they have to tell him, uh, Mr. Cornette, Mr. Pillman's dead. And, of course, here's the thing. Just like with the Humvee and, and all that, you know, they would, you know, you know, like I said, what I'm trying to say is just like with the Humvee and, you know, and all that, and all that prior, all, everything prior, I should say, to that, you know, nobody believed exactly you know, that this could be true. They couldn't believe it because it was more along the lines of, oh, you, is, he, is this a rib? You know, because that's what Cornette thought. It's like, is this a rib? And they said, no, Mr. Co- Mr. Cornette, he's, he's dead. The police are here. And that's when the reality hit of what happened, uh, the fact that this was not part of the loose cannon deal. This was not part of his work on people. This was legit. And again, this is where he gets emotional a little bit because he calls somebody over and to get Bruce Pritchard because Bruce is like the one that has to take care of this stuff. He's like the main guy, like a little above Cornette. And he says, you got to get Bruce. You got to get Bruce. He says, well, uh, the show's about to start. What's going on? You got to get Bruce. Get Bruce here now. Brian's dead. And I was like, whoa, 
you know, and again, and put yourself, he's saying, put yourself in that guy's shoes that Cornette's telling, go get Bruce, the guy that has to really take care of this. Because you're like, whoa, repeat that again to me, Mr. Cornette, what? You know, imagine you're put in that situation. But yeah, it turned out to be true. Uh, they had to come on to, uh, before in your house. They they did show this in the previews or doing parts of the beginning, but not during the show itself. But, you know, they showed it. They showed uh, the night before, you know, on Raw and all that. So, yeah, it was hard. It was hard. And then again, and then, of course, uh, they showed a reenactment, a dramatization of the funeral and all that and how JR and Vince were the only, like, wrestling person personalities that were there uh, they talked about you know how basically it, you know Pillman had passed away from heart disease and then of course they ended up showing the interview that Vince done, did with Melanie and Melanie of course you know talked about it but you know she barely wanted to talk about it or even acknowledge it uh, from what I could tell and JR and Jim are like you know because they were part of WWE at the time WWF they didn't like it. They didn't like the fact that you were exploring that Vince was, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, what's the word? Um, exploring, expo- or not exploring, uh, uh, basically was using, I should say, using this interview uh, with Melanie to pop a rating. You know, it was, you know, he was using this interview. Sorry, my thing went off. I don't know why I did that. Uh, my screen went blank again. It does that when it goes into silent mode. But anyway, they they did not like the fact that Vince was basically using this interview, using this interview to uh, about you know with Melanie to f- pop a rating, exploring, exploring. Easy for me to say, yeah, uh, exploring the. Um, you know, the Pillman tragedy even further. Now, of course, like I mentioned earlier, they got into what happened afterwards, how Melanie, again, you look at the picture, you look at the, you know, 20 year difference. Yeah. People do change physically and all that and all that, but she's like, Melanie, it's like reality hit her like a jackhammer, literally physically and mentally and all that. And they talk about how, you know, she had alcohol abuse. She was going through a lot. She remarried um, somebody that became uh, Brian Pillman's uh, stepfather. And this stepfather was abusive to him, to Brittany, to the mother, I think even to Danny when she would be there, that he had uh, attack dogs, basically guard dogs, you know, to make sure that the kids wouldn't be out of line or if they were grounded, they would stay in the room. He even talks about how the fact that because they show him, they show uh, somebody reenacting Brian Jr. as a kid being grounded in his room, being watched by these dogs that would constantly bark at, bark at him and try to gnaw at him and bite him. And he would be sitting on his bed just playing his games. And then Brian would bring up the fact that, you know, somehow his stepdad found out about that, took, you know, his GameCube, because this was at a time when GameCube was around. It's obviously about. Uh, the mid two so about the early to mid two thousands, he took it and threw it against the wall, basically saying, "Hey, don't you ever play this stuff again?" You you know, he was very very abusive, and 
my my only thought of being abusive is this guy had drug problems himself. He had alcoholic drug problems because they don't talk about him after that. We don't even see the guy. I mean, he is um, meant, you know, he obviously is alive because they do mention uh, in little subtitles that um, the stepfather was unreachable for comment because I think, I think honestly, the stepfather knew he probably heard about this probably knew that they were going to tell the world what he was about. And he did not want to, he did, he probably didn't know what to say. And, and that's the thing. That's, that's the one thing I noticed that anytime, you know, a, a documentary, a document, um, documentary series, documentary series, um, you know, does these kind of thing, you know, does these interviews and all that to get more information about certain things that there will be certain parties that will be unreachable because I think in a way they know that these people behind these documentaries are going to find out more information that they don't want the world to know about. And this here, believe it or not, was also something that WWE glossed over uh, as well during their release. And again, that's one thing I gave Dark Side of the Ring credit for. They did not gloss over it. They didn't. And I'm thankful for that. Now, one of the bright lights about it is they did highlight how Linda uh, Pillman uh, became like the mother that the girls needed, that Brian Pillman needed, or Brian Jr. needed, and how she would, you know, every day or every weekend, at least as best she could, get them together, you know, to re- you know, get them back together, reunite them so they wouldn't drift apart because that's what was happening. They were drifting apart, especially after Pillman's passing. So she would bring them together. She would take the responsibility, bring them together, and they showed a little, you know, um, they showed footage of that. They filmed footage of that, of them looking through photos and all that. They even they even um, uh, had Brian, because when they were interviewing Linda, all of a sudden you hear Brian Pillman, Brian Pillman Jr.'s voice going like, oh, my God, you know. Because he hates spiders, and Linda's just laughing. She went, <laughs> I, "I just cleaned the, um, you know, I just had to clean the bathrooms or something." Like she alluded that she's cleaning. She tried to get, you know, get spiders out. She wouldn't kill them. She would just get them and put them to the outside, let them back out into the wild and all that. And that Pillman Jr. doesn't like spiders, so <laughs> that was a little bit of a, you know, lifting off the darkness, if you will. And they did highlight uh, Brian Pillman Jr.'s you know, career uh, in wrestling and how, you know, Austin had contacted him about, you know, him having a, one of his dad's weightlifting belts and that he wanted to mail it to him. And that kind of was like a sign, you know, for him to get into wrestling and, and Brian, uh, you know, Brian Jr. He got emotional, you know, who, who wouldn't be, I mean, they, he shows the picture of, you know, Pillman holding him, his dad, you know, Brian senior holding him up. You know, like almost, you know, kissing him on the cheek, almost like he's giving him his blessing, you know, to follow in his footsteps, you know, and that's what he's been doing. And, you know, they got footage from AEW, they got footage from MLW, which, by the way, MLW, I think very soon is going to be on Vice. Uh, so that's going to be like a lead in to a Dark Side of the Ring or it's going to air afterwards. I don't know when. But, yeah, they, they showed that. And, um, yeah, they, they ended, they did, they showed. Like I said, they showed the fact that uh, Pillman was willing uh, to reconcile uh, with his mom, Melanie, like I said earlier, because he, you know, he basically believed it's either hate her for the rest of my life or, you know, try to reconcile with her and fix things. And 
go from there. And they showed that she was smiling. She was happy. Um, and again, I think in uh, uh, Brian Jr.'s uh, eyes and his point of view, in my opinion, that this is going to be the first step that's needed to you know reunite the entire family as a whole. Because like I said, Brittany obviously still holds uh, bitterness and disdain to Melanie, somewhat with Danny. Um, um, Linda, I would assume, kind of has a grudge against her, but not much. Um, I think Linda's more willing to forgive, you know, at least, you know, forgive Melanie for what's happened and try to help her, give her a second chance, uh, even though there are differences. There are obviously going to be, you know, different thought processing uh, between the two, you know, a point of view, points of differences, if you will. Because she even alludes to the fact that when they were at the funeral uh, for Brian Pillman, that there was a camera crew, that they, Linda and the family, uh, I think before Melanie showed up, was there. And when they, show, when they showed up there, they were like the first ones there before anybody else. They saw a camera crew, and she was like, well, what, are you, what are you doing here? You're not supposed to be here. And they said, oh, well, Melanie, the, the widow, the wife of Pillman, said we could be. And Linda, basically, she takes charge from what she told, which what she said, took charge. And she said, well, you know what? I'm her sister. You're not welcome. You need to leave. And, you know, surprisingly, they did. So, obviously, there are differences uh, of opinion, you know, between Linda and Melanie, but obviously she is more willing to, like Brian Jr., to probably forgive her and help her out and try to reconcile and help her out down the line, try to reconnect the family as a whole. Um, but, you know, the same can't be said for Brittany or even, I think, Danny, because, you know, the one thing they brought up, again, like I mentioned, you know, prior, uh, priorly in this video, I should say, is when Brian passed, you know, Melanie was still getting royalties and everything from him, you know, because of, you know, because of him and that Danny and Brittany did not see a dime. They didn't see a dime out of that. And that because of that, they had to move out of the dad's house, the electricity and the water be taken off. And that it was Linda that came to the rescue, basically got Brittany the house that she's currently in. And I think Danny this, and Danny went back to live with her original mom. And, you know, the rest is history. But like I said, the, the light at the end of the tunnel was at least Linda is, you know, willing to bring the siblings together so they won't drift apart or anything like that, which is a good thing. It's a really good thing. But, yeah, overall, this overall, though, this uh, special well, not special, but this premiere for Dark Side of the Ring, I thought did a great job, did a heck of a lot better than what WWE did with their loose cannon DVD documentary. You know, they touched upon things WWE would kind of allude to, but would then go off in another direction. Here on Dark Side of the Ring, they went all out. They went all out, and I appreciate and respect that. And I cannot wait to see what they got in store for us next week, because next week, they go back to an hour, but next week's hour-long um, episode is on the ultra-violence of current, current, GCW world champion, Nick Gage. That's right. Nick Gage. And that was the wind that just uh, blew the uh, blinds closed. But yeah, they're going to talk about Nick Gage. 
and they're gonna interview him. They're gonna. This is where you're also gonna see um, them talking to John Moxley and and David Arquette. So it's gonna be really, as well as a few other personalities, I'm pretty sure. But it's gonna be a really interesting one because they're gonna be focusing on a guy that's currently still wrestling, and he's currently a world champion in Game Changer Wrestling. So uh, it's gonna be really, it's gonna be a really interesting uh, watch next week. And I've made sure to hopefully, you know, hopefully my mom lets it stay this way. I'm going to be recording every new episode of Dark Side of the Ring. This is a good series. This is a this is a good series. I could say overall because, like I say, they do they talk they talk about stories that no one else will talk about. I mean, what what is it like? Next week is Nick Gage. The week after is Collision in Korea. Then they got the Ultimate Warrior coming up. They got the Grizzly Family. Grizzly Smith family, which is Jake the Snake, Rock and Robin, Sam Houston. You know, they got uh, Dynamite Kid. Then later on, they got XPW, Chris Canyon. They got the plane ride from hell. Um, and who knows what else um, that they have in store. But they've got a lot to come, and I cannot wait for it. And if this premiere on Brian Pillman is any indication of what we have in store for us over the next several months, I think it's going to be worth watching. I think it's going to be worth DVRing if you want to do that. So overall, I'm, I'm really just, you know, I'm just really glad uh, that we have this kind of a series out there because, you know, we have now people willing to come out and say, look, you know, this is how things are. You know, we're not going to cover any of this up. We're going to tell it like it is and go from there. And if we can't, you know, get in contact with somebody for an interview, even briefly, we'll let you know about it. We're not going to hide it. So I like, I like that. I, I, I just overall like the direction they're going with this. And I hope they do more. And obviously this has been popular and successful enough to where it's inspired uh, Vice to do, and, and I think the creators behind Dark Side of the Ring, to do Dark Side of Football, which premieres next week after Dark Side of the Ring. So you're going to have two Dark Side uh, series, Dark Side of series, I should say, one on pro wrestling and one on pro football. So it's going to be interesting. So if you're a pro wrestling fan and a pro football fan, there you go. And OTRS Central, you, I know you like football. Just like Daddy, Jeff Siegel, I know you like football. There you go. Got something that maybe you can uh, tune into and enjoy. But overall, in closing, guys, though, uh, in closing, I should say, I, I like this. I like the premiere. I thought they did a great job. They were able to dive into things that WWE didn't dive into with their documentary. Uh, they they went a, they went a step and beyond, in my opinion. And I hope that after this, they get renewed for a fourth season. Because with everything they're talking about in this season and everything they've talked about in prior seasons, you can only imagine what other stories are out there that they could talk about for a fourth or maybe fifth season. But really, guys, that's all I'm going to say on the, um, my overall uh, thoughts uh, on the Dark Side of the Ring Season 3 premiere on Brian Pillman. Uh, let me know what your thoughts are in the comment section below. Thank you all for joining me live. Really appreciate it. And I will talk to you all later. God bless. Take care. Get vaccinated if you can. But yeah, if you want to check the show out, it's on demand right now. If you haven't seen the premiere, it's on demand right now. And I would, and they're going to repeat it tonight uh, as well on Vice. So I would check it out 
if you're intrigued by that. So till next time, guys, though, God bless. Take care. And I am out. Thank you all for watching. Peace.